Amen. Thank you, Caleb. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to hear this word today. You were dead through your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who are you apart from the power of God? What, what would you be apart from the grace of God? This is a question that for some of us is nearly impossible to answer because we knew the work of God in our lives long before we knew who we were otherwise. Because of the faithfulness of parents or grandparents or Sunday school teachers or Wednesday night teachers, we have always, as far as we can remember it, known the love of God. For others of us, this is quite an easy answer. Whether we grew up in the church or not, for quite a long time we lived separated from the Lord and doing our own thing according to our own will as much as we wanted. Who or what would you be apart from the power of God? Who are you separated from the love and the grace of Jesus? Paul lays it out in pretty clear terms for us, in pretty stark terms, in fact. He says we're dead. That, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, being dead means that you have no future. Everything that was has already come to be. There is no future. You have no will. You have no energy to do anything. You have no capacity to exert any kind of force on anything in the world. You are dead. Not only are you dead, Paul says, but, but also if, if you're living in disobedience, you're, you're on a train track following a course that leads you straight away from the Lord and towards the, the ruler of the power of the air, he says. 
which is a, a strange thing to say. It's a little bit confusing for us, but if you imagine the world like the Greeks imagined the world, the air was the space between the earth and the moon, okay? So not the space of like the heavens, where the really important gods live, but the space of the air is like where the, the lesser demons exist, the lesser spirits exist that aren't really as powerful, so to follow the, the ruler of the power of the air is to follow someone who is not rightfully the Lord, who isn't the rightful king over all of the universe, but just seems to reign over the earth in the present, just above the earth, not really transcendent. So you're, you're, you're dead, you're unable to do anything, you, you have no future, you're headed in the wrong direction, away from the Lord, following another false god, and you're enslaved to the passions of your flesh, to the desires of your body and your mind. Now this is really important because a lot of times in, in our world, in our society, we say you, you shouldn't be driven by your short-term desires, your bodily desires, but you should use your mind to reason what really is best. And Paul says that what your mind wants isn't even necessarily what's best either. We don't know what's good. We don't know who the rightful king is. And we are dead, incapable of doing anything ourselves. And we have no future. That's who we are apart from Jesus. It's important that Paul uses we language here. He is counting himself among those who had no future apart from the grace of Jesus. Even though Paul was a faithful Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous for the Lord as he knew him. Paul was lost too, dead in his sin. And the other way he describes those who are separated from God is children of wrath rather than children of God. So this is where we are, dead, on a track away from the Lord who gives us life, towards the father of lies, enslaved to bodily and mental desire, not children of God who loves us and gives us life, but children of wrath. This is where Paul starts chapter 2. You were dead. And as he does this, we, we can't read this passage without reading it in light of the prayer that we read last week, right? So Paul, Paul ends chapter 1 by saying, I pray for you regularly. I've heard of your faith. I'm so glad about what God is doing. And what I pray for you is that you might have the sensibilities, that the senses of your heart might be open to see two things. I want you to know the riches of the inheritance that's waiting for you. I want God to reveal that to you, how good it's going to be when we get where we're going. And then the second thing he prays that they will see and know is the immeasurable power of God. And as he says that, he goes on this, what seems like a tangent about the power of God. He says the, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and set him up in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father and gave him a name above every name, above all dominion and authority and everything, every other ruler and king and made him the head of the church, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul starts by praying for the church and then he transitions into this being in awe at the power of God. As he does that, do you notice the trajectory of Jesus? 
you were, Jesus was dead, and Jesus has been raised up from the dead and put in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. That's the power of God. And Paul is praying that the church would know the power of God. And then he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. And now, now, after he describes all of that, how you were dead, how you were on the wrong track, how you were following the wrong Lord, how you were children of wrath, he says, but God. And everything shifts in that one little conjunction and noun. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. This is important. If, if you've been made alive, you are not alive, right? So any of us who are in Christ, who say that we have life in Christ, even if we don't remember a time that we were dead in our sins and separated far from God, all of us were dead. If we've been made alive, we were dead. And now we have been brought into Christ where there is life and grace and goodness. But God doesn't just bring us from death to life. He goes further. In Christ, he brings us into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us why God does that. So that in the age to come, all of heaven and earth will be able to observe the immeasurable grace of God in kindness toward us. That the witness of God's love for all of the ages is going to be that when we were dead, Christ has made us alive and made us heirs to all of the promises of God. And then he sums up the gospel for us in these beautiful few sentences. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own works, so that anyone can boast. It is a gift of the Lord. No boasting, he says. Now, this is a hard thing for us in the church sometimes, right? We look around at all of the good things that are happening, of the good ministry that we've done, of, of the kindness that we've shown towards someone else, and we think, man, I, I did pretty well today. As we talked about this this week with one of my friends who's a, who's a pastor, he told a story about going to his nephew's t-ball game. And apparently they've changed the, the rules for, for young kids a little bit. They have like a, a hybrid coach pitch t-ball league now, at least in some places. And so the, the coach throws the ball a few times, and if you miss, then they put the ball on the tee and you get to hit it off the tee. Now imagine if you hit that ball off the tee and hit a home run, and you flipped your bat, and you made your way around the bases, and on the way home, you just kept bragging about the home run that you hit. Is that really a worthy boast? And even, even if you hit it when the pitch threw it, when the pitcher threw it, when the coach threw it to you, no five or six-year-old can provide their own bat or their own glove transport themselves to and from the game, teach themselves the skills that you need for baseball, show up at all, wash the clothes, right? 
even if you hit the home run, you don't deserve all of the credit for it. This is the power of God at work in the church. Not that we should boast, but that we were dead with no future with no ability to do anything at all. We were on the wrong track, headed the wrong way, following after the wrong Lord. We were children of wrath, not children of God, unable to do anything good of our own merit. But God, but God intervened and made us alive and has lifted us up to the heavenly places, to a place we never could have gotten on our own and has put us in Christ right there in relationship with himself. Paul says we are what he made us, created in Christ for good works. For centuries now, since the Reformation, the the church has argued about faith and works. Is it faith that saves us or works that save us? And if it's faith, do we have to be worried about works at all? And right here in this classic passage that, that presents to us the gospel according to the Reformation, by grace you've been saved through faith, this is not your own doing. The very next thing is that the good works for you have been prepared beforehand. When I was in early elementary school, my mom, my mom loved to pick out our clothes for us. And she'd pick out clothes that sometimes matched my brother and me. We're two years apart. And we'd, we'd go somewhere and somebody would stop and say, your boys are so cute. And did I get any credit for that? I didn't pick out those clothes. I guarantee you I would not have picked out that bright plaid she had us in. The good works God has prepared for you beforehand. That doesn't mean that you can avoid doing them. It doesn't mean that God hasn't put the ball on the tee and given you the skills to swing it so that you can hit a home run. But it does mean that you don't get any of the credit even if great things come from the work that you do. Because you were dead, and God has made you alive through Christ Jesus and put you in the place where you need to be. As Paul sets up the church, the church that he's writing to here in Ephesians, to understand the gospel, he's already told them that they have the Holy Spirit that has marked them, that is remaking them in the image of God such that other people can see the evidence of the power of God at work in them, and that the Holy Spirit serves as as the guarantee, as the down payment or the earnest money on the full inheritance that's coming. And that Holy Spirit that abides in the church is the expectation, provides the expectation for everything else that is to come. As Paul prays that the church will know the power of God, The church knows that through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. This is how the church, as the body of Christ, is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. The Holy Spirit is already at work in us. The same power that made Jesus alive and lifted him up and gave him a name above every name has raised us up too and put us in the heavenly places with Jesus. The gospel that Jesus is gathering all things up into himself 
gets applied to us as individuals as we get to step ahead of the rest of creation and into the church where we know the fullness of the power of God saving us already. We don't have to just wait for the future. It's happening now. For those who are in Christ, it's already done. So that's where we were. No future, dead, and on the wrong track. And now, when God said, I'm going to do something different, even when we were dead, has shown us the immeasurable riches of his grace and made us alive in Christ. The mystery of this is something that we get to celebrate as we gather for communion. We get to become partakers in Christ. As we confess our sin to God and each other, as we remember what Christ did to save us, as we break bread and share juice, these simple things become for us expressions of the mystery of the gospel. That we who are all headed on the wrong track are now being gathered together at the table of the Lord where we can know his salvation. Where we can taste and see that the Lord is is good. Where we can be nourished by the Lord for the good works that he has prepared for us. We don't do it of our own strength, but when we finish our liturgy, at the very end, we pray that we might go forth to give ourselves for others. We pray that we would become the ministers of the gospel that share the good news of the gospel with others. As we gather around the table, we get sent forth for good works. Those of us who had no future, who had no ability to act on our will, who had no will at all, who were enslaved to our own desires, have become missionaries for Jesus by the power of his grace, the immeasurable riches of his grace, so that the end of all things, all of creation will look and see the kindness of God toward us, and be able to praise God all the better. Will you pray with me? Lord, you know that we were dead. But sometimes we forget that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were on the wrong track, that we were children of wrath, and that you intervened. And have made us alive in Christ Jesus. That you've given us a new family. That you've adopted us into your own family. That you've made us citizens of your kingdom. And that you have prepared us. That you've prepared good works for us to do. We confess that sometimes we think that we do it ourselves. And we forget your role. We confess that sometimes we think that because you've saved us, we don't need to do anything at all. We can just sit in our pew and be happy where we are, thankful for your grace, forgetting that you've given us new life for a purpose. Sometimes, Lord, we get impatient, wanting the fullness of the inheritance now, unwilling to wait, unwilling to wait for the end of all things when all things will be well. So we pray, O Lord, that you would give us what we need, as you always do, as you've already done, so that we can be about the work that you have called us to. Not so that we can boast in ourselves, 
so that we can testify to your grace that's brought us from death to life and all the way to the heavenly places. Become our rightful king. Let us submit to you as our Lord. Redeem us from everything that enslaves us and set us on a track in the right direction that we might abide with you and your people now and always. This we pray in your holy and precious and powerful name. Let the church say, Amen.